says, Ecclesiastes 1.9, what has been said will be said again, and what has been done will be done again, for there is nothing new under the sun. I'm going to pack this message full of Bible verses, which is going to have one which has got in it, grace, renew your mind, okay? But we'll talk about that later, and I agree with what Grace said. We've got to change our perception. Sometimes changing the wording helps that. But the other thing is, this is a family. And if you go anything about families, and I've got 12 grandchildren, 11, 12 grandchildren, so I've got kids who I watch them with their kids and I go, <laughs> payback. <laughs> And I love it. You know, they're great kids and they're great grandkids. In fact, after this, I've got to rush away because I'm heading down to the final of the Big Bash with one of my grandsons. His, uh, his birthday on the 31st of January and he was too sick to come to the last one, so I made sure I grabbed tickets yesterday to go to this one. As a family, your parents tell kids all sorts of things. And you know what? They don't listen. But then someone else comes in and says something and they go, hey, Dad, you know what I heard today? And you go, holy mackerel. I've been telling you that for 34 years. It's like that at church. That's what I was getting to. It's like a family. I'll come in and say things and some of you will go, that's amazing. No, it's not. Andrew's probably been saying it for years, all right? So I want to pray just before we actually get into this message. Father of God... We ask that this morning you would unblock our ears. Yeah. Father, not just our physical ears, but our spiritual ears, our emotional ears, our relational ears. Father, I ask that whatever's distracting us this morning, that you'll just gently tide it away. Yeah. And pray, Father, that I don't want people to hear my voice. I want you to hear and sense your spirit. Yeah. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Oh, we got it up. Oh, I was looking up there and it's up behind me. That's all right. Living and relating as God intended, caring for myself. One of the biggest things that I find in the counselling room is people don't know how to care for themselves. You know, as we grow and develop, there's a system that we're supposed to grow and develop on. The first thing is, as children, right, right from the womb, we need to learn how we feel and express it appropriately to the appropriate person in the appropriate place at the appropriate time in the appropriate way. Yeah. Think about this. As a child, you can't express anything in words. You express it emotionally. <coughs> and then mum goes, oh, my God, she's got a dirty nappy. And dad goes, really? Yeah, that's why you're changing it. Right? And then another time, the baby would go, <coughs> and mum would go, oh, goodness me, she's got a wet nappy. And dad would go, really? Yeah. And another time they go, yeah. And mum will go, oh, she's got wind. Another time you go, yeah. And mum will go, oh, she's got rashes bothering her. And the four dads going, what the heck? I mean, come on, us guys, we're not very emotionally in tune, are we? Come on, get real. <laughs> right? We don't know the difference between a cry of a poopy nappy or a cry of a pee nappy or a rash nappy or. A pain in the bingy, right? But our wives know. And not just because of women, because they're attuned in, right? 
And one of the things we're going to need to do as adults as we grow and think about this, as children get a little bit older, what do we do with all that emotional stuff that they come out with? Uh, uh, uh. Tell me in words. I don't want to hear that. Well, okay, that's true. They do need to use words. But what happens to the emotional side? We shut it down. They were born with it. In fact, in the womb, they were feeling it. The only way they felt anything was through mum. And then all of a sudden, bang, when they come out, we've got to shut up and you know, children should be seen and not heard. So that's the first thing. We need to know emotionally what we feel, be able to express it appropriately. The second thing is we need to know what we need. You know, kids didn't get a language. You know, one of my grandchildren recently was thirsty. And he had a cup in his hand. He's just going, <laughs> he knew what he needed and he was trying to get it. You know, some people don't know what they need and not only that, they're afraid to ask. Because think if they ask, oh, I'm weak. I should be able to do it myself. Sometimes we need help from someone else. And sometimes it's not your spouse, folks. Sometimes you need to go outside to get that help. All right? I'm not just promoting counselling, I'm not saying that. That's not what good mates are for. Right? What was that movie I was watching recently? Oh yeah, Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> Don't laugh. I like watching the old originals. And he's in New York, you know, and he bumps into this person and she says, Oh no, who's that? And he said, Oh, that's my psychiatrist. that's the psychiatrist. And he says, Who's the psychiatrist? Oh, that's who so and so sees. And Mick goes, doesn't he have any mates? <laughs> That's true. You know, one of the things that we have lost in our society, we talk about mateship, but we have lost the ability to connect with people in our society. And we talk about family, but you know what? The people I have in my counselling room, they come from a family, but the family is dysfunctional because they don't support each other, they don't connect with each other. I was recently involved in a funeral where all the members of the family come from different states of Australia. And when the person that was based in Ballarat sent a text to people to let them know that their mother was passing, some of them didn't respond for three or four days. Now that's a family, but that's very dysfunctional. And you know what? That aches in a person's heart when they get that kind of response. My mum's in hospital at the moment. She's only 82, she's not old, old, right? But she's crippled up and got a few things and she's been told she won't be coming home. She's got to go into a care. She's not very happy about that, but she's resigning herself to it. But you know what? All the chatter amongst the family members about what should or shouldn't be happening and who or shouldn't be doing what. Oh my goodness. You know, I see the phone and I go, oh. is it off? Hang on, I better check. Yeah, it is. It's all right. Okay. Whew. You know what I mean? And it shouldn't be like that. We should look forward. I've got one brother and five sisters, okay? Don't feel sorry for me. It's okay. You know? He thinks he's got six sisters. Because I'm so in touch with my emotions and I don't do all the manly things he does, he thinks he's got six sisters. 
Let me read something from the Word of God. Matthew 22, 36 to 40 says this, The greatest command of all is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to this part. All the law and the prophets, that's everything up until Jesus' day that was written in the Scriptures, all of that will be filled, fulfilled on those two commands. You know, Moses come along and wrote out 613 laws for the Jews. No, he didn't. He wrote 10. He reduced the 613 that the Levitical priesthood had passed on to them. And he said, you guys can't handle 613. That's a really weird number. Let's bring it down to 10. We're into decimal country now, right? And Jesus come along and said, nah, that ain't going to work. You haven't been able to handle 10. And then God is very clever because the first four of the Ten Commandments are all to do with God and the last six are all to do with other people. So we come up with the two big ones. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That's the first four. And love your neighbour as yourself. That's the last six. And we still can't get it right. How simple has it got to be? And it comes down to relationship because that's what God is about. Okay, next slide, thanks. Let's look at this. In my field in counselling, not psychology, I'm not a psychologist, I'm a clinical counsellor, there is a difference. One does psychology, psychological stuff, and the other one does counselling stuff. Both doing the same thing. One's a science degree, one's an arts degree. One's about knowing, one's about doing. Two different things, okay? And if you don't believe me, that's why we don't get paid by Medicare. Because you've got to know stuff to get paid by Medicare. Right? Doesn't matter what you do. Okay, that was my chip. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I'm wearing shorts and not long pants. I can't afford the full length. Right? <laughs> in relationships and in life and in psychological field, there are three main drives, and they are. Purpose, power, and pleasure. Now, think about this. God has said, I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is, we're to express love towards God. All right? But there's something else. If you're one of those neighbours, you're going to be loved. And if you're a recipient of God's kingdom and God's family, you need to let God love you. You know what I've learned in the counselling room and in life? Some people don't let you love them. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. And it's not because of you, it's usually because of other stuff that's happened in their lives. And that's the stuff that God wants to help us with. But I want to say this, and I'm saying this very respectfully, to Andrew and anyone else in ministry. God will not do for you what you need to do for yourselves. Right? God will not do for you what you need to do for yourselves. You know, I belonged to a church many, many years ago, almost in a former life, that was so rigid and so bound in teaching doctrine and going over end days results and knowing what the resurrection meant and whether it was going to be a millennial 
coming or a pre-trib coming or a post-trib or a post-millennial. And, and honestly, they would get into real big arguments and debates about it and they'd have conferences just on one particular topic or one part of a verse. Nothing to do with relationship. There was no love. It was legalism. In the end, I'd come up with my own theory. I'd figure I'm a pan-trib, pan-millennialist. Don't look so puzzled. It's going to pan out the way God wants anyway. <laughs> right? <clears throat> That's all I need to worry about. God's got it all in hand. I don't have to worry about the theology and all the eschatology. Right? When I used to lecture at Bible College, one of the guys said to me, you don't talk like the other lecturers. And I said, <laughs> yeah, I won't tell you exactly what I said because it's a bit like Andrew's mother's language. <clears throat> because I'd broken away from it. God broke me free. It was a long journey, but God broke me free. Jesus says in John 10, 9, listen to this, I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved and, and this is the Amplified, and will live forever and will go in and out freely and will find pasture, spiritual security. The thief, that's not God, that's anything else other than God, only comes in order to steal, to kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life in its fullness, its completeness, its abundance, that you may enjoy it to overflowing. That's what God says. That's what God's desire is. Right? That's what God's purpose is. To bring power and pleasure into your life. But look at this. It only comes through community. You know what community means? You break it up into two words. Common oneness. My wife and I, we are a common oneness. We're a community. Andrew and Mel, they're a community. You and your wife or family, you're a community. This church is a community. The school, that's a community. Mount Clear itself is a community, separate from Sebastian or Delacombe or Ballarat East or Canadian Lakes, just down the road. This is a community. Common oneness is what God wants to bring to his people. And you know where his people John 3.16 tells us who his people are. For God so loved the world that he gave up his only son, that whoever would just simply believe that he died for them, they would have eternal life, security, spiritual security. That's who God's family is. Well, no, not quite, because Jesus' family came to him one day when he was preaching and they couldn't get into the house where it was. And they're out there and someone called out and said something about family. And he says, no, that's not family. My family are those who hear my words and put it into practice. You come from a place of knowing. The church I used to be in, there was a lot of knowing in that. And there was a lot of putting into practice. Right. Next slide. Look what happens if we move away from God's purpose, which is to love with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and in our ourselves. We become disconnected from community, from ourselves and from the source of love. We become disconnected. And then what happens to our power? Power twists. 
just very subtly, it changes to control. And control and power are not the same thing. The most powerful being in the universe is our God, our creator God. How much control does he have over your life, your words, your passions, your desires? God is not a controlling God where he just sits there at the leave and says, right, this is what's going to happen. There's a thing that started in a Garden of Eden called free will, right? That's what love does. Love says you are free to be who you are. And in who you are, I want you to learn how to love me because I've made a way for you to love me if you want to know that. But all this other stuff, sorry, I know we said something else, gets in the way. All this other stuff gets in the way. And like Ray said, sometimes it's not having enough or I can't do it or I come from this background. Oh, well, you don't understand my family. Sometimes it's all that. And they're very real things. But God says, beyond what you can ask or imagine. Right? Power is not the same as control. And then the next one is about pleasure. You know what happens to pleasure? Pleasure just shifts a little bit to be about avoiding pain. And pleasure... Enjoying something and avoiding pain are not the same thing, I can tell you. You know, I used to be a carpenter. Yeah, I was. When I left school, I left school at 15, I was a carpenter. Finished my apprenticeship by the time I was 17 and a half and I started working as a full-time carpenter. And I was working on a big project. There was a, a sort of supervisor on a site and um, first indoor tennis courts in Ballarat. And I was, got to work this morning and the electrician, who was one of our elders from church, Oh, I shouldn't have said that. No, I won't be able to say the next bit because when I got there, he was not very happy about the fact that all these low-hanging fluorescent lights and he was pushing the scaffold around and it was catching on all the scaffold and he was saying things, yeah, what well, was sort of... <laughs> that's my interpretation, but anyway. Well, that's a public interpretation. And I said to him, mate, what's wrong? And he said, ah, oh, this is... Can't get this... I said, well... How about you climb up? I'm not climbing up there. I said, well, are they live, those wires? He said, no. And I said, well, how about I climb up and I'll unhook them and cut them off and, and you can deal with it later. He said, yeah, all right. So I jumped up the scaffold and grabbed the top of the scaffold, which was just on 10 metres. And the bar at the top was not locked on the night before. It was just sitting across the corner. My fault, I didn't check. And down I went. I was in hospital for quite a time and off work for a couple of years and busted this and broke that and wrecked this and stuffed that up. And so for a long time I've suffered with chronic pain. And I can tell you that when I get with my kids and my grandkids and I couldn't do things because of the pain in my body, I was avoiding pain. But just because I was avoiding the pain didn't mean I was able to pleasurably enjoy what they were doing. Two different things. And it's one of the things we avoid. We avoid conversations. When people start talking about family stuff, we just... Or when we talk about emotional stuff, and that's just the guys, all right? When we talk about intimacy, 
when we talk about being known by our mates or our friends or our girlfriends or even having a special friend outside of our spouse, we cringe. We avoid the topic. And the end result is we end up with a new meaning, a new purpose. And it's not loving God, it's what? Self. Survival. And self-surviving is not thriving. Self-surviving is just like bobbing on the water, just keeping your head above the water. That's not what God wants for us. He wants more than that. You know? Okay, next slide. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. All of these areas need looking at, right? And we're going to do that. Next slide, please. We've already looked at that one. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Steal what? Steal our joy. Kill off our faith and destroy our relationships. And how does he do it? Here's the subtle part. He does it through shame. You know what shame is? Shame is the biggest, fattest lie about you that Satan has sold you. Oh, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Oh, I couldn't do that. No, you don't, you don't understand. Oh, no. That's the lie that Satan sold Adam in the garden. Remember that story? Yeah. You know? Adam, yeah, where are you? No, I'm at the coffee shop. You're not here. No, the same one we meet in every day. Where are you? Sorry, what did you say? No, no, I thought you said you're hiding. Sorry, what was that? Where? Behind the tree. Sorry, but I thought you said a tree. No, you said a leaf? Why? No, I know it's small. That's okay. <laughs> the leaf. <laughs> I made you that way. Adam, come out, mate. Where are you? All right. Come on. The biggest lie you ever got told. And you know what comes with shame? Another word that ends with aim, blame. When God spoke that, and what did he do? It was her fault. Blamed her. And then when he went, sorry, when he went to Eve, then what happened? Who'd she blame? He gave it to me, the serpent. Part of what shame is about is not owning who you are. The enemy does not have to get you to become an immoral adulterer or to become a drug addict or become a drunkard or become a violent prick, sorry, right? He doesn't have to make you into the worst person in the world. All he's got to get you to believe is you're not enough. And part of our self-care starts with that. When God comes into our life, God says, I want to help you to be the best you you can be. 
And in loving God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, our responsibility is then let him into those areas. And it doesn't just happen just like that, I might say. Very few, and I'm being respectful here, very few people have an, an experience with God where zap, all of a sudden their life turns around and everything's changed. You know why? Because there's big, this big theological thing called sanctification, right? And it's a process. How many have ever seen that movie with um, uh, Billy Crystal and um, what's his name, Robert De Niro? You know, when he's a gangster and um, Crystal's the therapist and his dad's died. And the gangster's crying, and I've never cried in my life. I kill people for living. Why am I like this? And Billy Crystal says, Well, it's grief. And he says, yeah, we'll do something with it, dog. I don't like it. Get rid of it. And he says, I can't. It's a process. It's a process. Grief is a process. It's not something you do one day in a therapy room and then it's finished. You know, I lost my dad when I was 19. Now, I'm not going to tell you how long that ago it is, but it's over 40 years ago. And I still grieve him. There are still times when I go, oh, I wish he was here. I don't know what I'd say to him, right? Okay, next slide, please. This, next slide, please. This is a quote that I use when I'm training people. Where I work down in Melton, we run a a program in schools called Cool Heads, which is teaching kids how to be self-aware, how to self-regulate and have self-empathy. And it's about it's troubled kids, you know, kids that, well, we said we just want to help kids, but when we got to the first school, there was these 15 kids and they'd been hand-picked. And as I went around the room, this is all year 10, 11, 12 kids, they went around the room and telling me, I said, okay, so tell me what you're here for and what you want to get out of it. And each one of them says, got expelled. Of course, by the time I got to the end, this mum was saying, oh, I got expelled because I spat at a teacher. I got expelled because I did this to a girl. I got expelled because I did that. And by the end, they were sort of trying to outdo each other, I think. And these kids, they just didn't, I didn't realise it, but what they'd been told was unless they went and did this group, and we never ran it before, they couldn't come back to school. But out of the 12 that started, right, out of the 15 that started, 10 finished, right? And six of those ended up coming back into therapy on their own because they got so much out of it. But part of the process was this thing here. Right? Let me read it. You can read it yourself. I'm going to read it out to you. The truth is you cannot love yourself unless you have been loved or are being loved. The capacity to love cannot be built in isolation. Fire can warm or consume. Water can quench or drown. Wind can caress or cut, and so it is with our human relationships. We can both create and destroy, nurture and terrorise, traumatise and heal each other. The more healthy our relationships, the more likely we'll be to recover from trauma and thrive. Relationships are the agents of change, and the most powerful form of therapy is love. Now, I say this, I read, read this out, I quote it often. 
when I'm training social workers, and you know, some of the social workers have got a pretty dim view of God and spirituality, and or not, no, not spirituality, but Christianity and the church. And some of that, you know what? I think they've got good reason to, to be quite frank, right? And anyway, they say, well, that's what we'd expect you as a Christian to say. And I say, oh, hang on, I'd just better let you know who it's from. It's from Dr. Bruce Perry. He's the consultant psychiatrist to Australia for Berry Street. What? Yeah, 2017, his book. The Boy Who Was Raised by a Dog. True story. Now, if a man who works with broken people can come to that conclusion... How right do you think God is? Already knew it. Right? Love is the greatest form of therapy. How does that work in our relationships? Let's look at the next slide, please. You have two people. You over here, this is your boundary. Right? The other person over here, that's their boundary. Okay? Inside that boundary, which is your skin... You have your feelings, your attitudes and your behaviours. How you emote, how you relate to people, what you think, as Grace was saying before, what you think about yourself, what you think about other people, what you think about God and what you don't think about them and what you don't think about God. That's you, right? And your motivation for behaviour. But in the other person is their feelings, their attitudes, their behaviours. And you know what? When two people come together into what we call a relationship, like marriage... Right? And I see lots of people who aren't married, they're just in a relationship, and that's cool, that doesn't bother me. Right? I'll help anyone that walks through the door because that's what God wants me to do. And I don't care what their sexuality is, I don't care what background they come from. If they come in my door, I'll help them. Right? Because that's what love is. It doesn't discriminate. Right? Love does not discriminate. Love does not control Love does not turn away. Love sets boundaries, and we'll get to that, right? This feeling, attitude, and behaviour, when you get two people coming together, they come from two different backgrounds. My beautiful wife here, and I'm grateful that she was here today, she got called up just as we're walking out the door to say, don't come into work at 10.30, you've got to come at 3 o'clock because the person's going to come up. So she probably should be home having a rest, and she's here with me, putting up with me talking. She's got to work tonight. So thank you, love, for being here. Um, I don't very often have the privilege of having her with me. <clears throat> but we come from different backgrounds. Gwenda comes from a Christian family where she was raised, being taught about God right from a young age. I come from a non-Christian family where my dad was an alcoholic. My mum was a screamer and yeller and thrower and scratcher and hitter and you name it, she did it, right? Very controlling. My dad used to say, oh, she drove me to drink. Well, that was the biggest load of rubbish out because he drank long before she came on the scene, right? He wasn't a brutal drunk, by the way, right? But I was about 25 to between... No, I was actually 29, 30, when I realised that what had happened in my family, the way we were raised, was actually causing me to relate in an inappropriate way in our relationship. We are just talking about it this morning. My mother, as much as she was a screamer and yeller, because she had seven kids and a husband who was a drunk, she had to do everything herself. Of course, I don't know, if you're a mum and you've got two kids or three kids, that's a handful. But when you've got seven and then you have another adult, which adds another one, right, 
then that's a real handful. And I didn't realise that until then. And I started to realise part of what I was doing, I was trying to get the kids to clean up all the time and getting angry at them and frustrated. And that was causing issues between us because what was doing, my wife would come in and say, no, no, just get back up. And like she said this morning, it wasn't the fact that you wanted to clean it up, it was the way you spoke to them. That was what the problem was. And I'd become controlling, right? And I got confronted with this and I had to work on it. I'm still working on it, you know? And good on Andrew for being vulnerable to say he's in counselling. I'm in counselling, right? I'm still in counselling. We go with my wife because we want to work on our relationship. We want to be the best that God can make us to be, right? I'm not ashamed of that. And even in my work as a professional, I go on a regular basis to see someone to make sure I get dredged out. You know, in fact, I see two different people. One is not a Christian, the other one's a Christian. Because the Christian guy has a bit different view on things. And he's got a bit different momentum as well. Okay? So what I'm saying here is how do we go about this? Well, there's three things. I call them the three R's. Put them up on the screen, please, guys. We've got to learn in our relationship to be respectful of other people's boundaries. Be respectful of how they feel, how they think and what they do. doesn't mean I have to agree with them, right? But I need to be respectful. And then I need to take responsibility for how I feel, think and act towards them. I'm not responsible for them. I'm not responsible for my wife's feelings, but I am responsible to be sensitive to her. She's not responsible for mine. How often is it, you made me so mad? No, she didn't. No, I didn't. That's you. That's what's going on inside you. You need to learn to take responsibility for yourself. That's taking care of yourself. Remember we said before, the first thing was expressing your feelings. The next thing was knowing what you need. You know what the next one is? Knowing what your skills and abilities are. And if you can't do it yourself, go and ask for help. Go to a counsellor. Go to a mentor. Go to a life coach. Whatever. Go to someone and get the help you need. Right? No shame in that. But the enemy would say, oh, don't let anyone know about that. That, that will think you're weak. Yeah. Rubbish. Okay? Be responsible for yourself. Then, be righteous in how you relate to people. And what I mean by that is, have the right attitude of heart. Righteous means to have right actions, God actions. That's what being righteous means. In other words, laying down your motive and acting from God's motive. And what's God's motive? Love. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour yourself. That's the best care you can do for yourself. Right? Okay, next. Thanks. And what happens when we have stuff going on between us? As I said before, we need to learn to express how we feel. One of the biggest problems in our room, in the counselling room, is having couples and people in business who are trying to sort stuff out not being able to express how they feel. They don't know how to express it. That's important. Actually, before you get to express, some people don't even know what they feel. And part of my role is to try and help them to get to that. And there's reasons why they're like that. And that's what's important there, to be able to identify that. Okay? And then to be able, when someone says to you, you know, what you're doing, like when my wife said to me, it's not what you did, it's how you're doing it, that becomes across harsh and 
I've got to confess that. I'm going to own that. Not blame it. Not push it away. Oh, what about what you did? It's not about what she did. It's about me. She needs to take responsibility for what she's done. I've got to take responsibility for what I've done. And then to redress it. That means you address the problem. Don't just say sorry and then go and do it again. Right? And that's where I believe it's really important to invite the Holy Spirit into that area of your life and get into God's word and help them see what God says about that. Next slide, please. The heart. Jeremiah, I'm not going to read all those, but Jeremiah says, our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? All right? That's the human heart. I was saying to someone the other day, you know, the problem with churches is they've got, every church I've been to has got, what do they call them? Um, oh, come on, you know, every, every church has them. Um, people, yeah. <laughs> and you break it down, what are those people? They're humans, right? And that's the very thing that God's dealing with every day. And the reason that God went into the garden with Adam and called him out from behind the fig tree well, Adam thought it was a tree, it was actually only a leaf. Um, Why he called him out was because he wanted him. This is about us. Human nature changed from that point on. We're living in a fallen world, but we're also living in a fallen body, a fallen mind, a fallen heart. And God says, I want to renew you. And you read through Ezekiel, and Ezekiel says, God is going to put his spirit in us and he's going to make us new. He's going to do away with the old dry bones and give us a heart of flesh. A heart that can feel, a heart that can relate, but also, and this comes with the completeness of life, a heart that will hurt. You cannot have life in its fullness without the hurt. Sorry, folks. God did not promise that when you come to him, you will have no pain. So as long as we live in this world with evil around us and sin, and I don't mean just bad things, I mean people's rebellion against God, we will be hurt. And we'll be hurt by loved ones. And we'll be hurt by family. And we'll be hurt by the persons you're sitting amongst now. Sorry, but you will. But we've got to learn how to deal with it inappropriately. God says, and, and Grace quoted this before, where your treasure is, there your desires or your heart will be also. And we've got to learn to put a boundary around it and protect it. That's our self-care. Next slide, please. Our self-care is also looking at our soul, which is in this term, is our spirit, right? The place where you sit with God, where no one else is around. Now, it's not out there. It's in here. You know, Jesus was confronted by some people one day and they're talking about the kingdom of God and they were saying it's here and it's there. And Jesus said, no, it's not. The kingdom of God is within you. It's in here. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what the Word of God tells us. It's in here. And when no one else is looking and you go and have communion with God, you know your spirit cries out with his spirit and it sits well with your soul. Right? God says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let me ask you this. If you're living a life and you believe you're striving for God and it's weary and it's tiresome, ask yourself the question, whose yoke are you wearing? I'm not suggesting for one minute, particularly for people in ministry, it's not easy. 
even if you like Lyndon on the drums, right? That's not easy doing that stuff. Trying to keep up with what the person leading is, you know, what are the symbols are, right? And if he misses it because he's enjoying his drumming so much, all of a sudden he's got the look coming from the person leading going, slow down, quieten down, you know? It's not easy doing that stuff. By the way, I think your musos did a great job this morning. Well done, guys. Blessing to have great music in a church. God says that he refreshes our soul. Look what it says in Psalm 23. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path. Why? For his name's sake. He wants to honour what he's already said. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbour as yourself. The best care you can do is learn how to love yourself. Whoa. Yeah, I said it. Love yourself. Because God does. And the enemy says, no, 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 we can't do that because that will be filling my heart with pride. What a load of garbage. What a load of garbage. You know what that's saying to God? No, you don't really understand God. I'm not really worth loving. And God says, I know that. That's why I love you. I don't love you for your worth. I love you because of my love. God's love isn't based on your worth or my worth. God's love is based on his worth. That's why we sing he is worthy because we aren't. We've got to learn how to love ourselves. But there's also another verse I want to read. What good will it be for someone if they gain the whole world and yet lose their own soul? What good would it be? Get the life balance right. Next slide, please. And this comes back to the mind. I'm going to use it, Grace. We've got to renew our mind. We've got to get a fresh perspective on what's happening inside this little head of ours. Because if we don't, it can lead us astray. When I say that, I mean lead us away from what God intends for us. Because we swallow a lie. If we're going down a path here and we're aiming there, and all of a sudden we shift one degree to the right, in 10 years' time, we'll be miles away from where we should have been. How do you keep checking in? Who do you keep checking in with? One of the things that I really love, I've got this app on my phone called the Bible. The U version, right? And it has all these daily readings and devotions and I was looking at it the other day and I'm thinking, what have I read? And I'm sitting there and of course, being a male, it was while I was on the toilet, you know. <laughs> Don't laugh. It's serious stuff. That's really deep relationship with God, you know. And I'm flicking through there and I'm thinking, oh my God, look how many I've read. I still didn't get to the end of the list. I don't know when I started, but I think, oh, I remember. Hey, that was a good one. I'm going to go back and read that one, right? Who do you check in with? What do you check in with? How do you gauge where you're at in your life? What's your standard? If it's not God or God's word, okay, who's the godly person in your life that you check in with? And I want to say this respectfully. If you only check in with your spouse, that's not enough. And I'll tell you why. Because they're biased. 
And if you don't believe me, just think about the last argument you had. Right? How biased was that? Right? She didn't agree with you, you didn't agree with her. That's bias. Right? And I'm not saying that's wrong. That's normal for a relationship. But if you want to check in with someone, you need to be able to check in with someone that can tell you the truth without having to interfere with your relationship. Self-care is really important. And God says, in your mind, in the end, end the evil of those who are wicked and defend the righteous. For you, O God, you look deep within the mind and the heart because you're a righteous God. God is the one that can help us with that. To be made new in the attitude of our minds. What does that mean? As Grace said, it means getting a fresh perspective, not just where we're shaped. You know, one of the things that God said in Isaiah 51, he said to the Israelites, go back to the rock from which you were hewn. Look where you were shaped from. You've forgotten where you come from. In Hebrews it says, "Go back to your, remember back to your former days and see how far you've come. We need to do that sometimes. Not to sit in the drudge, not to go back and wallow in it, but to remember, but also to look at how we've been shaped. My dad, because of his alcoholism, shaped how I responded to emotion. And I didn't realise it until I was 35. It shut me down. I didn't know how to process. I didn't know how to actually regulate. Went from zero to here, just like that. And it probably frightened the heck out of my wife and my kids sometimes. Not that I was violent, I wasn't. But it's too much for people. I needed to take responsibility for it. But that was kind of like Ray said, before you respond, you have a thought. And that thought's not just what you think about responding. That thought is about where it's been shaped in your past. And it's important. And sometimes working with a counsellor or a therapist can actually help with that. Right? So that's your mind, and then there's your strength, which is about everything. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What are you doing to protect that you do? Are you putting a hedge around? Is that where your heart is? Is that where your treasure is? Protect it. Your relationship with your wife, your partner, that's yours. Protect it. Make sure it's not jealously. Well, there's nothing wrong with jealousy, by the way. God was a jealous God. Read the Ten Commandments. I am a jealous God. You will have no other slut. Oh, no, he didn't say that. He said, you will have no other gods before me. But that's what he meant. I don't want you going off sleeping with everyone else. I don't want you going off having these relationships with these idols. God was a jealous God. He was serious about it. Three times in the Old Testament it says that. I am a jealous God. And you know, every time he says it, and there's two times where he says, my name is jealous... And the only other time in the authorised version where they write the name of God in capital letters is when they say Yahweh. That's how important it is to God for us to know that he is a jealous God. And what jealousy is about is loving someone so much they don't want to lose the relationship. And God loves us so much he doesn't want to lose that relationship. Okay. We're not going to get through all of this, so I'm going to actually come back to the first slide, which was about, well, when I get to it on the slide, but love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbour as yourself. What is interfering with you loving? What is interfering with you receiving love? 
If it's family of origin stuff, go get it sorted. If it's stuff that's happening in your relationship, get it sorted. It's what you think about God, go get it sorted. Whether it's with God, whether it's with your pastors, or maybe it's about your pastor. That can happen. And it does. And sometimes talking with the pastor that you've got something about is not the right person to talk to at the time until you sort it. Then you can go sort it with him or her or them. doesn't matter. Right? Self-care is your responsibility. It's not the pastor's. Your spiritual care is your responsibility, not the pastor's. It's his responsibility to provide teaching, to provide pastoral care, yes, but how many people go to this church? He can't do it alone. And I know he doesn't. Right? I know that. I'm just saying. Our individual journey with God is our individual journey. And we've got to take responsibility for our growth. We've got to take responsibility for how we feel about how the service went this morning or what was said or who was there and the way he spoke. And what you think about that. You're right. You've got to take responsibility for that and how you relate to people with that. There's nothing wrong with going home and having a roast preacher. Right? <laughs> Just don't put too much salt on it. That happens a lot, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah. Let's be honest, it does. Right? But what's important is to, okay, what are you going to do with how you feel about it? What are you going to do about how you think about what he said or she said? And what are you going to act? How are you going to change your behaviours because of it? Okay. I didn't say you can talk about half of what I thought I was going to, but that's okay. What I want to do now is I'm going to close in prayer. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do after that, Andrew, but right. I want to close in prayer. If anybody wants to come and speak to me or say anything, that's fine. But I'm going to give some, ask for some quiet, and I want you to reflect on your own heart, soul, mind and strength. Put aside my joking, put aside what you've heard me say. I want you to listen to what God wants to say to you about that. Just let me pray. Lord, we've heard how much you love us, how you want us to love and live in the same manner, in loveliness. But the truth is, we've looked for our love in all the wrong places. Your word tells us that we've gone and dug cisterns that are empty and they're cracked and they're full of muck. That's left us damaged, hurting ourselves and sadly probably hurting other people around us as well. Please help us turn around, turn back to your ways. Turn back to taking responsibility for ourselves. We know that you want us in your family and you've done all that you can for us by giving us Jesus and then your Holy Spirit to assist us daily. And then there's your word that provides all we need for life and godliness. As we learn to love ourselves the way that you want, may your love flow up from within us and splash over on all that we come in contact with. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.